Good morning, church. All right, here we go. Well, uh, welcome to Palm Sunday, a day of uh, worship and rejoicing. But I had even prayed this before with uh, uh, our team. We celebrate every Sunday. We celebrate the resurrection, and today we set aside a special day to remember Jesus coming in and uh, coming in as king. But he is our king, and we worship him, and he is alive and well, and so we praise him for that. So I have a few announcements that I want to turn your attention towards. This is a busy busy Sunday for us. So uh, I'll first say welcome any guests or visitors. There are, uh, as was mentioned, connection cards in the seatback pockets. If you're new here and we could get to know you and you have any questions about our ministry, certainly fill one of those out and put any prayer and praise requests as well. But turning your attention towards the, um, the bulletin, we have our annual meeting for members today immediately following our worship. And so just as a warning now, we are going to turn this room over pretty quickly. And so if you're able to help, there'll be a crew that kind of organizes setting up some tables for our meal. And uh, we'll be sharing a meal afterwards, which if you hadn't planned on it, you're more than welcome to stay. And then as far as our annual meeting for members, we uh, would say welcome. If you're not a formal member, we would say welcome. You are more than welcome to observe in that meeting. Our members participate only in that meeting. But if you are curious about it, please come in and observe. There's not even a special section of seats for observing. But just know that it will just be observation only and our members are uh, participating in that. But we do welcome you in that way. And so, so that's kind of the afternoon. We're going to do that after our worship. And then this evening, we're going to come back together to celebrate. Uh, one of our missionaries is Jews for Jesus. Uh, they are messianic Jews that minister to the Jewish population to tell them that their Messiah has come in the name of Jesus and Jesus himself. And so they, they often, uh, in relationship with us, will come back and lead us in a Seder meal, which is an explanation of the Passover meal. And it's appropriate since we've been going through Exodus. And so that's at 6 p.m. It is not a full meal, all right? If you come hungry, like, I mean, if you're like going to a pizza party or something, like, it's not a full meal. You're sampling, like, some of the elements. And so, I, if you come hungry, you will leave hungry, all right? That's what I would say. But it'd be a joyous time of learning that together, and then we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper together. So please do come. Um, child care, there's a note about this. Uh, child care is not necessarily provided, but if you have a child that can sit through worship as they're sitting through now, they're more than welcome to come. It's actually a neat, I'd prefer it that they would see and be exposed to that kind of learning. And so please feel like they can be a part of that as well. Um, and then as you may know, next Sunday is Easter or Resurrection Sunday. And so um, we have a full week of worship services. Check those out in the bulletin on Monday, Thursday. We'll gather uh, to worship at 7 p.m. on Good Friday, the evening, a Tanabray service. And then we will have Easter Sunday services at 8.30 and 10.30. And so make sure you invite someone to come with you. As always, people will come if you invite them. Amen? At this time, I want to invite up Nancy Vale. She has a brief uh, woman's ministry announcement that she will make for us. Thank you. Good morning. I just want to draw the women's attention to this little insert that's in your bulletin about our next Kinder Connections. It's called Project Encouragement. And I just want to read 1 Thessalonians 5.11. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up. And there's also, there's a lot of verses about encouragement. And we just want to use that time on Friday, April 26th, from 6.30 to 8, just to encourage one another, encourage others, 
to love and good deeds, and we welcome any women, high school and older. Thank you very much. Excellent. And sign up at the info desk. Yeah, the brand new info desk. Yeah. Excellent. Well, uh, again, check your bulletin. And I would say another thing, um, just as a side note, uh, we have a bunch of serving opportunities that you can jump into, and we have a great need for serving. Uh, I was told this morning we have a need for more sound booth operators. There's a lot of buttons that are a lot of fun to play with. You can be a part of that. And so if you want to help in that ministry, talk to Matt is in the second row, Stephanie, Doug, Stephanie in the back. We need video lighting. We have a bunch of ways that you can plug in. So if you're not serving here, jump in and start serving somewhere. That would be excellent. Um, uh, if you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to uh, the book of Exodus. But, uh, oh, there's one more thing. There's always one more thing. Uh, be turning there as I cover this one more thing. Uh, one of the things that we do at the annual membership meeting is also to recognize, and we will be doing this more formally uh, during our membership meeting, those that have been added to our membership in the following year. And so I thought what we could do just briefly, um, I'm not going to have them come up here, but if they would just stand, I'm just going to read you a list of people that have been added to. Um, and just to affirm them publicly, we say this all the time, membership is a really important thing. It says something. It says that you want to belong here. It says that you want to serve here. It says that you want to sit under the elders' leadership and teaching. And it's a mutual thing. And so we encourage that for everybody. And it means something. And we just, I want to honor these people and, and remind you to, to pray for them. So I'll just have you stand where you are. Becky Bostwick, Daniel and Lydia Brill, Sherry Elsner, Dennis and Sandy Flick, Jackie Friend, Shar Fugelberg, Fiona Furman, Doug and Linda Karras, Harvin, Angela Lindsay, Stephen Hope Marquart, Connie Nelson, Harold Pido, Paul, and Bethany Weavers. These are all people that have been added to our membership in this last year. So just pray for them. Pray that they would honor Christ and that when people meet them and see them, they represent this church well. I'll pray for them now, in fact. Amen. Let me pray for, pray for them now. Father, I just pray that, that you would be honored and glorified by the the body of Christ here in Lake Mills. And Father, membership is a high calling and high commitment. And it is uh, something that is also for all believers, Father, to attach themselves to a local church. And um, Father, I pray that you would empower these people to live by your spirit as the spirit is with inside, inside of them and within them to testify about the good news of Jesus. Father, as they walk about their daily lives in ministry and mission on this earth, Father, that they would exemplify who it is or who Jesus is and, and who they are to follow him well. And Father, um, that they would be a model of, of, of this church, but more than that, that they would be just a model of what Christian living is all about. And so Father, help them, help us encourage them. And, and Father, we just thank you for what you're doing in this body as you add to it and strengthen it. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, we are in the book of Exodus in our series, and we've continued on into Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday because it's uh, very uh, appropriate for where we are in the text as we've looked at the covering of the tabernacle. And to understand that in light of who Jesus is and to understand that in light of what he came to fulfill. And especially today, we will look into his example as our high priest, as we're going to read about the priests and the consecration of priests. And so over the next two weeks, by warning here, we're going to cover a lot of material 
but we're going to cover Exodus 26 to 30. I'm going to read some sections of that, or I'll read actually a brief um, uh, verse about that, a couple verses about that, and then we'll cover some of the length of it later. But I want to just read to you, as we covered last week in Exodus 25, two verses about the instruction that was given to Moses. This is what it says there in chapter 25, verses 8 and 9, and we'll jump into the, the rest of the chapters to follow in some small ways. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst, exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all its furniture, furniture, so you shall make it. As we read God's word today and have read it and uh, get into it, I ask you just to pray. And last week we talked about how God came and created us now as sanctuaries for his spirit to dwell within. And I pray that you would just know and experience the presence of God in this time. You pray and I'll pray for us collectively. Father, we thank you for your word, its truth. We thank you for all the prophecy that has been read in the account of Jesus riding in to Jerusalem as, as the high priestly king. And Father, many of us just don't reflect and meditate on what that means enough. And so I pray today, especially as we go through this text in Exodus, that you would reveal yourself to us, that you have desired to know us and that you have given us Jesus Christ so that we could know you, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And Father, I pray, especially if there is one who doesn't know you, that they would know you on this day and repent and believe and turn and give their life to you for the forgiveness of sins. May you be glorified and honored, we pray. In the name of Jesus and all God's people said. So Palm Sunday, many of us know the story growing up and we hear it if you're around churches or Sunday school. And the text from Luke we read about earlier was Jesus as he enters in to Jerusalem on a colt, a unique but kingly entrance that fulfilled prophecy. Unique because he came in a way that they didn't expect. They expected he was going to establish his earthly kingdom. But he had something bigger and greater in mind. So shouts of Hosanna, Hosanna, save us, as Bethany recalled. Why? Because he was the Messiah, the one who came to save people from sins. That's specific in title to that mission, coming to save people from their sins. Jesus Christ was the one who would go and then pay for sin on the cross and then restore a right relationship with God. In fact, he is the only one who could usher people into his presence, into the presence of God once again. I want to say that again. He, Jesus, was the only one who could ever come and permanently usher people, you and I, back into the presence of God, which is what I want to address this morning as we look through these small chunks of the book of Exodus. Last week, we talked about the tabernacle. We just read, Moses has given these instructions in the Old Testament to build a tabernacle, tabernacle where God could dwell. Build for me a sanctuary because I want to meet you. I want to have my presence known. And we said that Jesus coming to earth is actually a form of tabernacle. It said that he tabernacled among us. When Jesus came to earth in earthly ministry, he tabernacled or made his presence known, the presence of God as he was God in the flesh represented to people. We said last week he was like the ark, the elements in the, cove- or the, in the tabernacle, the ark of the covenant because of his word, true and holy. He's like the table of bread because of his living bread, his invitation to say, come, 
I am the bread of life and the living water, and also his body broken for us. And then he is like the light, the golden lampstand that was in the tabernacle, because he is the true light of the world. And so last week we looked at these things, and we're going to continue on in this The big idea being that, again, recall to mind that God has always wanted to make his presence known to his children, to his people. He wants that for you today. Remembering that your greatest need, and you need to hear this, your greatest need is nothing short of the presence of God in your life. I don't know know how you came in here with what is on your mind, with what is my greatest need. Some of that is different for us. Some of you have health issues economical issues, some of you are changing jobs, some of you are watching your kids grow up and maybe want, and you think, what is my greatest need? Your greatest need is nothing short of having the very presence of God in your life. Now, if that's true, that begins to solve some real kind of deep level spiritual, emotional issues in our lives. Augustine would say it like this, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. I would agree with that. The idea that that God came and tabernacled with us, Jesus Christ himself, that God in us via the Holy Spirit because of Christ, that restlessness that we experience if we do not have that, that maybe even some of you feel right now, and you can't just, you can't quite get past something. You have this hole, as as people have said, this God-shaped hole or some restlessness about your life. It's because that's your greatest need, and that's what Jesus was coming to. To fulfill. You see, because we have a creator, our heart will only be at rest when we're with the creator, because that's what we've been designed to do. Remember, I asked you to think about last week, if you were here, those words dwell and presence and relationship. That's who we are designed to be and with in God, relationship with him as he dwells in us, revealing his presence to us. C.S. Lewis would go on and say it like this, if I had If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. I would agree with him as well. So what I want to do in my time with you is I want to talk about how to get into that presence if you don't know. And for those of us that do know, to just celebrate what God has done and how Jesus tabernacled. That's the big issue, right? We know as we see that God has come to this earth as Jesus came to this earth, that, that he spent time with people as Emmanuel, and he wanted people to be drawn to himself. And yet there was this really big obstacle as Jesus went about his ministry, and he bumped into people. And he would say, and you see this in Mark 1, 14 and 15, it's not going to be up there, but he would, he would say, repent and believe the kingdom of heaven is near. When Jesus landed on this earth, he was, it was time to turn eyes and say, you know what? If you want to know God, look at me. I'm your way. But here's the problem that he pointed out as he walked on the earth. He made this distinction between God's holiness as he lived his life perfectly and righteous and our sinfulness. He revealed to people, as you and I are exposed to now, our greatest problem is our sin and sinfulness. And Jesus exposed that and he was unapologetic about it. He says, you need to turn from your sin and come to me. He was the only one that was righteous, and he was exposing everyone's sin, which is what light does when it comes into darkness, right? It goes right into darkness, exposing everything. 
And he says, that's just a huge, huge problem. And when you look at the Old Testament, that's what Moses and the children of Israel are starting to learn about, God's holiness. And so you read all these laws, you read all these things that you're like confused about, and why is God doing it? God is showing himself as a holy God. And what you learn in repeat on, in the Old Testament, the pattern of the Bible, is that God's holiness is like a consuming fire, which means this, like it destroys everything that it touches. Now think about that. That's not a very good invitation to knowing God after I say it destroys everything it touches. How do you get past that? God made a way. He says, you know what? Your greatest need is that you need me in your life. But I'm a holy God and I can't be with unrighteousness. And I'm a beautiful king, sovereign in glory. And he says, yet you are sinful. We're all sinful. So the question becomes, how do I get into that presence? God says in the Old Testament as he is developing this idea for the tabernacle and for the high priest, he's saying, Moses, I want to show you a way that people can come and know me. And he set aside priests, which we're going to look, which is why he instructs Moses to build the tabernacle the way he did and establish priests as a representative to build that relationship. Let me give you a brief just flyover of Exodus 25 and 30. We're going to read a few uh, passages in there. He instructs them to build a tabernacle, all the elements within it. And in chapter 26, you get this instruction about the bronze altar, the core of the tabernacle. And then he talks about this oil for the lamps, which is weird and out of place in what he does because we learned about the lamps last week. So as we move in, at the tail end of all of this stuff, he talks about the oil. We're going to read about that. And then he gets into the consecration or the priest's garments, what they wore. And then about consecration of the priest until finally he goes back about this altar of incense. And it's interesting, and I'm going to read this. When you look at this little section, if you have your Bible, turn to chapter 27. Um, we're going to start in verse 20. What's interesting is he talks about this oil for the lamp at the tail end of already learning about the lamp. And I think it's important. We're going to learn why it's there. It's not out of place. Although I would argue that this section, if any, who's ever written like a term paper for essay, high school, college, and you get your paperback and the professor's like, hey, this section, I don't know where your mind was tracking, but it's like in the wrong place. That's how this little section feels. We know it's not though. And I want to kind of tell you why he bookends the priests and the consecration of the priests this way. So we're going to pick up in Exodus 27, 20, read through 28 uh, verse 5, and then I'm going to jump into 29 and 30. Uh, I'm going to talk fast and read fast, so hang on. You ready? This is what it says. You shall command, in verse 20, in chapter 27, you shall command the people of Israel that they bring to you pure beaten olive oil for the light, that the lamp may regularly be set up to burn. In the tent of meeting outside the veil that is before the testimony, Aaron, Moses' brother, and his son shall tend it from evening to morning before the Lord. It shall be a statute forever to be observed throughout all generations, their generations, by the people of Israel. Then bring near to you Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him from among the people of Israel to serve me as priests. Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar, and you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for the glory and for beauty. You shall speak to all the skillful whom I have filled with a spirit of skill, that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him for my priesthood. These are the garments that they shall make, a breastpiece, an ephod, a robe, a coat of checker work, a turban, and a sash. They shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, and his sons to serve me as priests. They shall re receive gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twisted linen. Skip ahead to chapter 29, 
And he explains the consecration of these priests in chapter verse 1 through verse 10 there, or verse 9. Now this is what you shall do to them to consecrate them, that they may serve me as priests. Take one bull of the herd and two rams without blemish and unleavened bread, unleavened cakes mixed with oil and unleavened wafers smeared with oil. You shall make them of fine wheat flour. You shall put them in one basket and bring them in the basket and bring the bull and the two rams. You shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting and wash them. Emphasis there. They are being washed with water. Then you shall take the garments and put on Aaron the coat and the robe of the ephod and the ephod and the breastpiece and gird him with the skillfully woven band of the ephod. And you shall set the turban on his head and put the holy crown on the turban. You shall take the anointing oil and pour it on his head and anoint him. Then you shall bring his sons, put coats on them, and you shall gird Aaron and his sons with sashes and bind caps on them. And the priesthood shall be theirs by a statute forever. Thus you shall ordain Aaron and his sons. And then finally skip over to chapter 30, verses 1 through 10. This is the the tail end here. You shall make an altar to which to burn incense. You shall make it of acacia wood. A cubit shall be its length and a cubit its breadth and it shall be square and two cubits shall be its height. Its horns shall shall be of one piece with it. You shall overlay it with pure gold, its top and around its side and its horns and you shall make a molding of gold around it. And you shall make two golden rings for it under its molding on two opposite sides of it. You shall make them and they shall be holders of poles which will carry it. You shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold and you shall put it in front of the veil that is above the ark of the testimony in front of the mercy seat that is above the testimony where I will meet with you. And Aaron shall burn fragrant incense on it every morning when he dresses the lamps, he shall burn it. And when Aaron sets up the lamps at twilight, he shall burn it. A regular incense offering before the Lord throughout your generations. You shall not offer unauthorized incense on it or a burnt offering or a grain offering and you shall not pour drink offering on it. Aaron shall make atonement on its horns once a year with the blood of the sin of offering, uh, uh, the sin offering of atonement. He shall make atonement for it once a year throughout your generations. It is most holy to the Lord. Now, some of you are just like, I didn't really understand anything you read. Let me give you some detail and overview of what's happening here, an outline. You have directions about the lampstand, and he says, Moses, keep the light on right? I know what just popped into your head when I said that. He says, keep the light on all the time. That's the command. You make sure that that light is on and it never goes off. That light is always on. And what is signified is God is always here. He is always present. You keep that light on. Then here the priestly garments in all their detail come about. These clothing, and I'm going to show you this in a second here. They have all this clothing and and detail. And you're, again, I told last week, don't get caught in all the details, but some of them do have real meaning and emphasis. And he says, I want you to make it this way. And then he says, then here's how I want you to consecrate the priest. This is why I want you to wash them with water, Aaron and his sons. And then this altar of incense, the bookends, right? Keep the light on and then keep the incense always burning signifying the presence of God always in your life. He is always with you. You keep those two things active. On the bookends of the garments of the priests and the consecrations, you get the light is on, the incense is always burning. Don't you ever let those two things go out because this will always be so the people of God throughout all generations know that God is near. And so what's going on? When you get into chapter 28, I'm going to dive into this. And I have a picture of this because I think it's important. 
is to walk through this priestly garment. So I joked with people I was going to wear this today, but um, not today. And so you have this priestly garments. You get to the garments of the high priest. Let me walk you through that quickly. You get the breast piece, and uh, the breast piece is gold and blue and purple, scarlet yarn, fine twisted linen. And then there's four rows of stone on this breast piece here, set in gold with each of the names of the sons of Israel, twisted cords made of gold and a pocket that contain the Urim and Tumim, which we're going to talk about, these two little stones. And then there was an ephod of gold, blue, purple, scarlet yarns, and fine twisted linen. And then there was these two shoulder pieces attached to the linen and two onyxed stones set in gold. On each of those also engraved the names of the 12 sons, the 12 tribes of Israel, six on one and six on another. Then there was this robe. It was all blue fabric, pomegranates, and bells of gold sewn into the hem. Then there's this coat of checkered work and a turban. A turban was a signet, engraved in the signet was holy to the Lord. Then there was a sash, and there was a variety of gold chains and medallions and bells. And this is what the high priest wore into the Holy of Holies, only one that could enter. And there was reason for that, all of this stuff. And I want you to think about a couple of things. First of all, how heavy would this thing have been? That's the less important. But he wears all of this stuff in, but here's what I think is going on with these garments. Why start with the garments before the consecration of the priests? I think this is the reason. This, this was about the ideal high priest. God starts with all these instructions of the priest's garments. And he's saying, you know what? It's because it's a picture of ideal high priests. Let me point out what I mean by this. Here's what we know from the garments. They might help us better understand Palm Sunday and Jesus as a high priest a bit better. An ideal high priest had to be a man from heaven. All this imagery about the cherubim and I want angels woven in is all about imagery that God said, I want this to look like it's from heaven. All of this stuff is made up of the same material that the tabernacle is made out of. Think about it. Here's where you could get lost in the details a little bit. All the elements of this garment, God says, make the tabernacle the same way because that will be the place that I meet you. And he says they should wear, they should be of the same cloth. All the colors and all the people who make these garments are the same people who made the curtains in the inner sanctum of the temple and the, the tabernacle, the Holy of Holies. And so the ideal high priest is a man of heaven who walks in the beauty and glory of the presence of God. Not only do we see this, but we also see in the garments that the ideal high priest is a man who both represents and is responsible for his people. On his heart and on his shoulders engraved are the names of the sons of Israel so that he is a representation he represents them as he walks in to the Holy of Holies. He doesn't come bearing only his own name. He comes with the names of the sons of Israel on his heart and on his shoulders. He bears their weight. Think about this now. He bears their weight as he enters into the Holy of Holies to atone for their sins. This is starting to make a lot more sense, right? He walks in bearing the weight of all their sin and carries them in as one who's making himself responsible. Think about this. Nobody wants this job. Responsible for making atonement of their sins into the enter entering into the presence of God. He bore their entire burden and brought them with him because they were on his heart. To be a priest was glorious and terrifying. 
They're going into the presence of God. Why do they have bells? They always say like they tie a rope around, had bells, because if they died in the presence of God, they could drag him out of there. You're going into the presence of God. And what can't stand? I've covered this. In the presence of God, what's the obstacle? Sin. Unrighteousness. What are all of us? Sinful and unrighteous. He is literally carrying the burden of sins of the people and himself of Israel and say, God, don't kill me. I'm bringing in everyone's sins. I'm going to make atonement. I'm going to put blood on the horn as you've instructed. And he has the bells on just in case. Representing the people, he doesn't come bearing his own name. He comes bearing the names of all of the people, the sons of Israel. But wait, there's more. And I want to point this out in regard to the garments representing the one who then trusts and has in his heart the pleasure of God for those who are his sons and daughters. There's this pocket on the breast piece, these stones of the breast piece that you see, or rather that was, um, that, that's actual rose, but this little pocket that he said, add to your heart this. And you can look at these extra biblical sources. You can look about these and there's just not a lot of detail known about this Urim and Tumim. And you see that in verse 30 of Exodus 28. And he says, here's what I want you to do. I want to take these two little stones, one dark in color and one light in color. And I want you to put them in that pocket near your heart. And as best as we can tell, these two stones, the people of Israel would have used to, by faith, used to discern the will of God. We don't know a lot about them. They're mentioned throughout the Old Testament. And what we know about them is Joshua goes and uses them, and they're meant to discern the will of God. And I think what they did was that they would draw a stone and add some revelatory meaning that they would discern a decision, a will of God on some item. And so he says, put these things in your pocket as you enter into the Holy of Holies. Now, we don't need stones anymore. We have a Bible in our hand, right? We have the very Word of God. You have the Holy Spirit inside of you if you know the Lord. But what they did is they would draw this decision, this stone, and it would say, this is the decision of the Lord. Now, here's what's strange. Think about this with me. Why does the priest have these two stones of decision as he enters into the Holy of Holies? His, on his chest, pressing into his heart, if the decision has already been made? The word of God has already gone forth. Come in. I'm going to forgive sins. Bring the sacrifice. Make atonement for it, and I will forgive the sins of my people. The decision has been made. The high priest doesn't need to make the decision anymore while he is in there. As if he's going in this way. Are you going to accept, accept the sacrifice for sins? And God says yes. And it's like, whew. The decision's been made. Come in. Here's what I think is happening to encourage and strengthen the heart of the high priest. I think the stones press against his heart to remind him that the decision has been made. Can you imagine if you were the high priest with those stones walking in, trembling into the Holy of Holies, represented all the holiness of God, you yourself are with sin. Priests are with sin too. There was only one righteous, right? He walks in as, and there's a reminder on his heart, trusting God, the decision's been made. To encourage him, you don't need to fear him. Think of what, I mean, think about this, friends. Think of what has been seen so far. There's been quite a bit of bloodshed even already. Think about the mountain that we read about, trembling and shaking. Think about the smoke descending. Think about the kind of awe and holiness of God people would have seen. They had a front row seat to these things. God says, don't touch the mountain or you'll die. 
It's like, hey, get in here. Let's talk. Ha <laughs> ha. Really? I mean, that's a little nerve-wracking. But the stones pressing into the heart of the high priest's chest's reminder that mercy will triumph over judgment. Approval has replaced wrath. Acceptance and belonging have now come about. So now think of Jesus entering on the colt in Palm Sunday, on Palm Sunday, especially the text we read about it. The decision was made. Jesus, the high priest from heaven, the only one who could do it. And he comes in and says, I'm the king from heaven. He didn't even have to wear all that fancy stuff. He was from heaven. And he says, I'm the king. I'm the high priest. I'm going to usher you in to the presence of God through his blood and sacrifice and victorious resurrection. He says, I'm not here for what you think, to take over on earth and make my kingdom here. He says, I'm here to walk you straight in to the Holy of Holies. That's what Jesus came to do. He says, you couldn't do it. These priests were always going to have to do it year after year after year. And he says, I'm here once and for all to meet your greatest need and to take you into the presence of God forever. The decision has been made. Now, here's an interesting side note for me, and I'm sure this is a little bit of conjecture, but when I think about the scriptures, I'm not saying this is what happened, but I'd like to think that this in some way did happen. As this, I would say, Jesus wrote in, and, and the text that we read at the end, it said, even if you keep me quiet, the rocks, if you keep these people quiet, the rocks will cry out. I can almost imagine, just for me, as I read this this week, these two little stones in the little pocket I can almost imagine these as like 2,000 years ago, almost little like popcorn kernels that were just waiting to like burst forth and say, man, God is going to make a way once and for all. Can you imagine these two little stones just like on the heart thumping, I'm sure, of the priest as he walked and entered in were like just bounding with praise, like going to burst with praise knowing that the Messiah was going to ride into Jerusalem 2,000 years later. And once and for all, Jesus is going to come as the final high priest to usher us into the presence of God. Which leads us to this last section of briefly explaining here the consecration of those priests because I think it's relevant for us as we understand. In summary, I think the main subject of chapter 29, what we read about the consecration of priests, is how you see ordinary sinful people, in this case Aaron and his sons, set aside, but ordinary and sinful people like you and I, And you'll see if you keep reading through that this family has some serious dysfunction. So you're like, oh no, like I'm way worse than Aaron and his sons. If you remember, in a couple of chapters, Aaron's going to get himself into a whole lot of trouble and a whole lot of people killed over this whole golden calf thing. This family has tons of dysfunction in it, just like your family. I know some of your families. (laughs) And see, it's interesting because they're sinners ministering to sinners. And it says as sinners enter into this priestly office, the priests themselves aren't sinless. They're not perfect. Whatever you think about churches and pastors and priests, and they're not, I'm not holy, more holy than you. All right? I have a need for Jesus just like you. That's why I don't wear this stuff. There's no more high priest. I don't have to wear garments and come before you as the one who brings you to God. Jesus has already done that. But these are ordinary people, but he says, I want you to consecrate them. And there are four elements to their consecration that I think bear weight on us as understanding a kingdom of priests, as the Bible has told us who you are in 1 Peter as a Christian. In verse 4 there in chapter 29, Aaron and his sons are washed. And it's a serious washing. 
It's not like the feet and the head. It's like a full-on scrub down, right? And then they're robed in verses 5 and 6, and then they put these garments on them, and they're anointed with oil. Then it is this threefold cycle of divinely appointed sacrifices that we read about. It's this consecration of sinners as they begin to minister to other sinners. They put on garments that represent the ideal high priest, the one from heaven. They walk in and atone for sins. They are a representative of the people. They bear the weight of the sin of the people, and they go in with confidence as two little stones dig into their chest that the decision has been made and that judgment will be overcome by mercy. Now, why don't I come out here dressed in all that today? Because the decision has been made. Jesus is the final high priest. I want to flip over to Hebrews real quick. It'll be on the screens. I want to just read this to you. This is what Hebrews chapter 10 says about what Jesus Christ as a high priest came and did, picking up in verse 10. And by that we'll have, we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. And every priest stands daily at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should, become, should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days declare the lord i will put my laws on their hearts and write them on my minds then he adds i will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more where there is forgiveness of thee, th- these there is no longer any offering for sin amen the decision has been made. Christ comes as the high priest. There's this compare and contrast where the Levitical priests are just constantly having to make sacrifice, over-sacrifice, enter in, enter in. And you can't quite get out of the temple before you sin again, and you have to come in and make another sacrifice. And if you can remember that whole sacrificial system, I mean, it's constantly, day after day, atoning for sins. If you do this, whether you know it or not, you need to make this sacrifice once, and you become aware, here's the burn offering, here's the grain offering. Here's this offering. Constantly, all the time, all day long, every day. And then here comes Jesus, who does not wear these garments. He doesn't have to because he's from heaven. He's the ideal high priest. He's the man of heaven. He is co-eternal with the Father, the second person of the Trinity, God the Son. According to this text and many more, according to the point of the scriptures, he bears the burdens of the sin once and for all on his shoulders. And in his heart, he ushers in an understanding of the pleasure of God for sinners who are saved by grace, the ideal high priest with the final decision, the only one who can come and permanently usher us into the presence of God. And here's what his death accomplishes for us as we look ahead to Easter. Think of a thousand sacrifices made by these priests, and yet in a single, this is amazing in Hebrews, what we just read, in a single sacrifice, Jesus just offers it. And here's what you learn. He just sits down after that. Isn't that amazing? This is for the restless, confused Christian. This is for you who might not know Christ and you think, man, I just need to keep going back to God because he doesn't accept me. I just need to keep going. And here's what Jesus does. He comes to the earth, he dies on the cross, and it says he just sits down and says it's finished. 
And some of us, as we don't get that, we keep coming back to God and like, God, you're not happy with me. I live with this guilt. And I don't think you understand who Jesus is and what he's done. Because he says, it's finished. I'm sitting down. What's more than that is, as this piles up, more enemies of mine just become my footstool, as if his feet are just getting higher, as sanctification keeps just abounding. He just sits down. It means it's over. When you know Christ and what Jesus came to do, you can have confidence that because he came to die and rose victoriously over your sin and he rose victoriously over death, the decision has been made for you and you can have confident access to God in Jesus Christ. And that's not because of you. That's because of him. And that's amazing. Think about it this way. Moses and Aaron would have been jealous of us. They really would be if you'd look in their life and you see in Hebrews this foreshadowing and this like, they, like fulfillment of things revealed and like we who live in this age, they would look at us like, so like you can just come and place your faith in Jesus and like, that's it? Yeah, no heavy 900 pound thing do we have to wear Sunday morning. That's amazing. They came with sacrifices and, and a little bit of trembling. We come with the acknowledgement of a risen savior and full confidence. So Jesus comes in on Palm Sunday and he rides in and what he was doing there as he rode in, he was saying, I'm the only one who can save, which is why they shouted Hosanna. They knew it. They needed this thing broken, the sacrificial system, and he comes in and busts in and he makes them clean by his blood. And he makes it where you don't have to do all this garment and lamb stuff, but be in God's presence all the time. And for those of us who know Christ, we celebrate this week after week. And for those of you who may not know Christ in that way, do you know that today you can make him Lord and Savior by placing your faith and trust in him? You don't have to wonder anymore. If you came in here restless, you don't have to wonder anymore. You could come in and have your greatest felt need on this earth right now today. Full access to God through faith in the Son of God, Jesus Christ, and in his death and resurrection. One final thought as I want to pray for those who may be interested in responding to God, but also for all of us. Remember the lamp and incense? You thought I forgot, didn't you? Doesn't it make more sense why it's a bookend? It's as if as God is saying, the light's still on. Keep the light on, believers. Don't ever let it go out. Keep the lamp burning brightly. Keep the gospel and the message of the good news that, that people can be saved once and for all. Keep that going. Don't ever, I think it's the same message. Don't ever let that go out. We don't physically go light a golden lampstand and we don't physically burn incense. But it's just reminder and visualization. Don't let that go out. Always keep the light of the gospel. Always keep offering yourselves to God as a living sacrifice. May we continue to live in that way as we await a day when our king comes riding back on a true horse of victory again and takes us home forever. Amen? Let us pray. Father in heaven, I praise you for your goodness and love. And Father, we read the story of Jesus entering in every Palm Sunday as a reminder of what he did. But Father, many of us don't understand what he was doing. And Father, it was the fulfillment of all the prophecy 
of the whole sacrificial system, of the whole tabernacle system, Jesus coming to tabernacle with his people, us once and for all, so that he could be our high priest. Our greatest obstacle with you is our sin. And Father, Jesus came and he said, I will take that obstacle. I will place it on my shoulders. Once and for all, remove it by burying it by his death and the bloodshed at the cross. And Father, that he would open up. That's why the veil was torn that day as he died on the cross. The veil of the Holy of Holies in the temple was torn from top to bottom, ripped forever so that we could have access to you. And Father, I know full well there is people in here who do not experience that presence daily. And I would pray for them this moment that as the Spirit stirs in their hearts, that they would say, I want to trust in this Jesus. I need forgiveness of sin. My soul is restless. And Father, that they would come before you right now in their hearts and pray and say, God, I want to know you. And Father, that by your spirit, you'd redeem their life. They would turn to you. That is what repentance means. And they would place their faith and trust. Maybe some in this room have always just been trusting in themselves. And they continue to have to come to church and make atonement and and go and confess and make atonement. And Father, Jesus Christ did that once and for all so that we could be free. Father, I pray that you would, in some miraculous supernatural way, give us all this symbolic two stones that we could bear on our heart that remind us of the decision that was made when Jesus Christ came and died and rose again that it's final, that mercy triumphs over judgment. Father, thank you for your grace. All glory be to Christ for your goodness. If there is one who responds in faith, that they would follow Jesus fully. And for those of us that know him, that we would continue to await the day that our King will return in glory or that we would go and meet him first. May you be highly praised and exalted. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus and all God's people said,